0: Greetings, music nerds, and welcome to Season 6 of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. I am your host, Steve Dawson, coming to you from the Hen House Studio here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm really excited to be bringing you this new season of shows, coming to you on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. I have a great lineup of fascinating conversations with incredible musicians, songwriters, guitarists, steel guitarists, drummers, composers, who knows what else. I've been having an incredible time diving deep with these folks, and I know you're going to enjoy listening. Just a reminder that this year I've taken out the short song samples through the show, as things have gotten way more complicated as far as legal use of music goes, so I'll be making an accompanying Spotify playlist to each episode, which you'll find in the episode's show notes and at the website at makersandshakerspodcast.com. So anytime you hear this cute little slide guitar sound, you'll know there's a track to go along with it on the playlist. We have some new sponsors this year, but continue to be largely listener-supported. Your help in keeping the show going is always appreciated, and you can do it with a one-time donation or a Patreon subscription. Patreon is a monthly payment of your choice and when you sign up for that, you get a bit of added content as well as an ad-free version of the show to listen to. If you don't feel like kicking in any dough, that's cool too but you can help by subscribing for free on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just spread the word by sharing the show following us on Instagram, YouTube Facebook and telling all your pals about it. You can get links to all this stuff of course at makersandshakerspodcast.com Meanwhile, many thanks to our sponsors this season. Please check them out and let them know that I sent you. They are Isotope, Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks and Spectra 1964. Howdy music nerds, welcome back to season six of The Show. This is episode number 131. This week I have Stanton Moore on the show, one of the great drummers to emerge from the New Orleans music scene in the 90s and early 2000s with his band Galactic. And he's become an absolute force of nature, performing, touring, recording teaching, making cool stuff for drums, and being an ambassador for New Orleans music worldwide as well. I hope you all have had a good couple weeks out there. I'm in Vancouver currently in the middle of a month of shows, rehearsals, and some sessions. Kind of nice to be back in the old stomping grounds for a bit, although this town has changed so much I hardly recognize it, I gotta say. And uh, as I mentioned last week, we've done away with the little slide sound effect, sort of given that a spin. Apparently it was bugging too many of you, but uh, there will be, of course, a corresponding playlist to check out. And there will be a link in the show notes and on the Music Makers and Soul Shakers website. So please make sure you go and have a listen. It's a bit of a uh, musical history lesson of New Orleans music this week. So uh, it's quite cool. Please uh, check it out. Just a reminder, again, that the Hen House Hang that you've been hearing about through this show now has some 2023 dates, and it is early, I realize, but we are booking spots if you're interested. The dates are September 25 to 28, 2023, and that's right after the Americana Fest happens here in Nashville. It's going to be great and i hope some of you might want to come and and be a part of it in 2023 to learn about recording and hanging with some like-minded folks so check it out over at stevedawson.ca on the front page if you're interested in that and uh, i just wanted to put a shout out to my good pal jeff hicks who's a great drummer from vancouver and he originally put me in touch with stanton and they're old buddies jeff uh has spent quite a, a bit of time going to new orleans over the years and met stanton somewhere and they hung out and they've become good pals and Jeff introduced me to Stanton and that's how we got him on the show. We tried to do this a few times and scheduling was never allowed for it, but it was worth the wait. I got to say Stanton, as I said, it's a force of nature. When we connected on Zoom, he was all set up with a killer sounding rig to play examples as we talked. His assistant, Nick, was it Nick? I think it's Nick. Nick did a great job, made things really smooth for us. And I got to say, it was so nice to have a good sound coming through Zoom for once. Not perfect, but way better than the average Zoom audio. And I think you're all going to enjoy hearing him talk and play. Stanton's been one of the most respected drummers really in all contemporary music for a long time now, since he emerged as a founding member of the band Galactic. And I was lucky enough to see them way back in the, I guess it was the early 2000s when they started touring all over the place. And they were taking funk and jazz and traditional New Orleans music and rock and crazy punk and put a modern spin on it all with killer grooves and amazing sounding records. Aside from Galactic, Stanton has another killer band that you should check out called Garage A Trois. Scarak is in that. And they've been an ongoing thing now for a bunch of years as well. And if you ever get a chance to see them, you have to, they're really, really cool. He's also heavily involved in the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival and plays around New Orleans regularly. He's involved in so many things, actually, it's easier just to say, go check out his website and see what he's up to next. And when we spoke, for example, for this, he was heading out with Les Claypool's Bastard Jazz group. I haven't had a chance to see that band, but I would imagine it's super cool. So if they're coming to your town, check out Les Claypool's Bastard Jazz. Stanton is also really into drum and cymbal design, and we talk about that a bit, and Uh, He's a master educator as well, which you will definitely get a sense of as we talk. So to keep all this straight, here's some links that will also be in the show notes. But for all things Stanton Moore, including tour dates and merch and albums, go to StantonMoore.com. And for his teaching world, check out StantonMooreDrumAcademy.com and make sure you check out some of his designs for Zildjian cymbals, Danette snare drums, he's got his own line of drumsticks, and I'm sure there's more out there that I don't even know about. And before we get going here, I would just like to put a shout out to the following folks who made donations over the last couple of weeks, Jan Pender and Dave Winowski. Thank you so much. I could not do it without you. And just a reminder that for all Patreon subscribers, this season we're going to be doing an end of season giveaway of a Union Tube and Transistor C verb pedal, which is super cool. I use one with my pedal steel and it's really fun and weird. So if you've already subscribed or if you do so before the end of season six, you'll be enrolled in that groovy little giveaway. And thanks to Union Tube and Transistor for supplying that pedal. All right. Let's get down to it. Please enjoy my conversation with Stanton Moore. You had a bit of practice over the last couple of years, probably. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. So I've got my engineer, Nick Solnick, here. And uh, yeah, we've we've been doing a lot of all this. Uh, yeah. Filming and streaming and all of that.
0: I know it. I was hoping we could maybe talk a, a bit about, because you brought it up, the the Jazz Fest, Um and you mentioned that you're just sort of recuperating from Jazz Fest. And um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what that means these days. Like what, what does Jazz Fest look like for for you? Are you running around doing like all kinds of crazy local stuff all around town? Or are you kind of set up at, to patinas and staying there? Like what's, what's going on Jazz Fest wise for you these days?
1: That's a great question. So this year Jazz Fest was very similar two years in the past Mm -hmm. with some minor adjustments and changes but keep in mind that the last jazz fest that we were able to have was 2019. right so we missed 2020 and 21 so we missed two but really the span of time was almost three years yeah so it was really great to get back to basically what we were doing in the past, which is I have my drum tech, Adam Kelly, who's been with me almost 20 years, and we run about five kits around the city. Oh, wow. So to to answer your question, I did 22 gigs (laughs) in 12 days. So Jazz Fest is really 10 days. Yeah, It's really three days the first weekend, and then four days the second weekend at the right. fairgrounds. So it's the the racetrack, the horse racing track in New Orleans, but that goes from 11.30 to seven. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the first weekend, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the second weekend. But the city really comes alive on its own with all the nighttime gigs. So just everybody started realizing how many people were in town and just started doing a lot of nighttime shows. So Jazz Fest used to produce and present Jazz Fest at night or Jazz Fest nighttime shows, but then all the clubs started doing this and then all the clubs started realizing, well, wait a minute, we'll clear the house at 1.30 and then we'll have a whole nother band and audience at two. So really, for Tipitinas, that show has to end at midnight, the first show. So when I play at Tips with Galactic on an early show, we play basically 10 p.m. and then we have to be done no later than midnight.
0: Why why is that?
1: So that we can clear the entire house and clear the entire stage. So we get all that gear off the stage and reset the entire stage for another band with a whole other set of gear and then get in a whole different audience. So it's quite a production, and it, it really puts a lot on our staff. I bet. And um, we're actually having a staff meeting, I mean, a staff party tonight to celebrate our staff and, and really kind of... Um, a party you
0: know, to celebrate the party
1: exactly exactly so <laughs> so we do two gigs a night um in the show in the club two shows a night so we might have galactic from 10 to 12 and then cl- you know close it get everybody out reset everything and then we might have like gray boy all-stars yep. later that night
0: and um, so what time I'm, would they start if you're finished if galactic's done at 12 you're striking, you're clearing the place. That's a big ordeal. Mm-hmm. At what time is the gray Boy All-Stars or whoever's playing at the, the next set, what time are they actually starting? 2 a.m. Wow. Yeah. That's so, amazing. So I mean,
1: it's, yeah, it's crazy. And,
0: and, and officially, <laughs> when does that end? 4?
1: Uh, usually 3.30 or 4. So okay. it, it's gotten out where the late night sets, people used to play like two sets. Uh, but, and so they might've gone till 6 AM, but I, I know, but now people are just doing like 2 AM to 4 AM. So and it's s- like a two hour show.
0: Is what you're saying that these are not officially Jazz Fest shows? This is like off Jazz Fest. I mean, it's Tipitina's obviously people are like, it. it's part of Jazz Fest, but is it officially not really actually part of Jazz Fest?
1: Correct. Okay. I mean, technically, officially it's not sanctioned by jazz fest but okay. it's all part right. of it you know and i mean quint davis who is the face of jazz fest and he was one of the people who started it um he showed up to tips numerous times throughout right. throughout so they've
0: the yeah jazz like fest. they've they're fully behind it like it's not like there's a a friction between the jazz fest right. and, the, and the clubs, yeah. right
1: exactly yeah and um so yeah, the, it's all works together and it's all good for the greater good you know, yeah. it's all good for the musicians in of the course. city and so tips is part of it. I also played at the Toulouse theater yeah. and DBA and
0: I love that place
1: yeah, and Blue Nile and um and so you know there are there are some great venues and clubs in new orleans and i wind up playing a lot of them uh during 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 the whole thing you know the thursday night before jazz fest technically started i always have a gig that night and so for me i think of it as it starts you know that night and so that this thursday night i i played with les claypool at the Orpheum theater so les claypool's bastard jazz which is me mike dylan and skerrick and the, thre- the three of us have played together a lot in garage de trois of course but this is less project and we're playing with less in this
0: so when you do something like that so it's somebody that you've that you've that you know well and that you've played with many times before and skerrick obviously you've been going back with for for decades at this point when you flip over and now you're doing less's material is that something like do you guys rehearse like do you just show up and wing it is he sending you stuff or what's the material hap like what's happening on that front
1: right so that's a great question and with with this project with Les's project at first like we might have done well Les might have sent a couple of tunes that we were going to maybe do or you know and to be honest, maybe Mike and Scarrick sent those and was like, you know, you should just familiarize yourself with these. Yeah. We don't, we don't know what Les is gonna want to do. And then we met here at the studio for a rehearsal, and we wound up just improvising for 45 minutes.
0: Yeah. We
1: didn't say a word. We just started playing. We improvised yeah. for 45 minutes. And then Les, I'm not gonna try to impersonate his voice, <laughs> but you you can imagine. His voice, unless it's like,
0: well, that was easy. He's like, <laughs> we're
1: good, right? And so, so we went over to sound check and sound checked. And this was a few years ago before the shutdown. And so, um, so then we just sound checked and then we played the gig and it was awesome. And then we did so, Jam w- so f-
0: fully improvised then,
1: yeah, fully okay. improvised. Although we, we might have gone into. A couple of Primus tunes, maybe. Oh yeah. But but like with different grooves and different versions, you know? Yeah, yeah. But like totally un, unplanned. Like right. it just might turn into that. And then we did Jam Cruise in January of 2020.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we just did this. Uh, then obviously there was a large break. And then we just did uh, this April 28th gig. And then we have two weeks coming up. The last weekend, the last week of July and the first week of August, we have two weeks with Les,
0: with this. Okay, and All so right. this is just called like... So it's called band, Les
1: Claypool's or? Bastard Jazz.
0: Bastard Jazz, okay. And that's the specific thing and basically it's improvised.
1: Yeah, it's mostly improvised. And, but it, you know, Mike and Skarek played with Les for years. And then I played with, with Les, I played with Mike, and Scarek for years. Yeah. And uh and we just all pay a lot of attention and just, you know, really play heads up ball. And um and Les is awesome. I mean, he's you know, he's great to be around, he's great to play with, and uh he's yep. brilliant, you know, he's great. So so it's it's really a lot of fun. And um, you know, I've played with Les a few times over the years, but now uh it just it just works very easily when we're playing together. It's awesome. So I'm,
0: I mean, I'm familiar with what you guys did with that band, and, and, and I saw, like, I, I'm from Vancouver originally, and I saw Skarrick a bunch of times around Seattle and his projects that he had going on with people around there. So I know what you do, and, but I'm not as familiar with Les's stuff aside from Primus. Like, is he, is he a super comfortable musician hopping into that situation where it's improvised and there isn't a script?
1: Oh, 1 totally. million
0: percent. Okay.
1: So, yeah, 1 million percent, because he's done. Over the years, he did his Flying Frog Brigade. He's done a lot of different projects. And he also does Oyster Head with Trey Anastasio and Stuart Copeland. So, you know, over the years, Les has played with a lot of people. I mean, and he continues to. I mean, he's got, you know, he was naming all the projects that he was, that he's been doing lately, and it's it's a lot. And so, you know, he grew up playing and for lack of a better word, jamming, I yeah. guess, with a lot of people. And so that's just part of his DNA. And okay. so to get up and just completely improvise is very much a part of who he is. Yeah. And even though Primus is obviously the thing that he's most known for, but he's also done a lot of playing with other people and improvising and he's he's very comfortable and confident in any situation
0: really cool. So. It's so fun to play with people like that that have that, that spirit in them of just wanting to jump in. you know it, it's not that common. Even I find even with jazz players, sometimes it's not super common for that comfort level of just like not having any plan and, and being able to wing it and make it sound creative and, and fun for everybody at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it comes from too he he spent so much time with Mike and Scarrick and then he's seen us play together so much. Right. And he's seen me play so many times uh, in other projects. So he just knew that it, you know, it would probably work. And it yeah. and, and it is.
0: So just going back for, to Tipitina's for a second. Uh, something occurred to me as we were talking about that. Obviously, that's a really important part of the city and the history and and the musical history is massive there. What's your deal with that place? Do you guys own? Did you guys buy it? As yeah, as, so how, how does that work? Like, so Galactic is technically the owner of Tepatinas now. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit! I own twenty
1: percent of okay building. Yeah. The 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 brand. Yeah. And and the business.
0: How did that come about?
1: So it came about because we had been playing most of the big holidays at tips for 20 years okay so you know we started touring in 1996 so we've been touring for 27 years now but we've been playing tips for about 20 of those years
0: you know um, i feel like you guys are are were the unofficial house band there although maybe you were the official house band there i don't know so
1: that that became our nickname you know, the staff would call us the Tipititas House Band. Okay. So w- we would play twice during Jazz Fest. Yep. Two nights during Mardi Gras, New Year's Eve, Halloween, um, you know, every year for almost 20 years. And then when we started to sense that the owner might be ready to sell, our manager, Alex Brawl... Just started throwing it out there like hey let us know when you want to sell or if you want to sell and at first we the band members myself and my other four band members we were all like oh my god you're crazy like i can't <laughs> yeah. believe you said that to him and he's like what he's like i mean not you know nobody can hold on to anything forever he's like you know
0: <laughs> was the I- was the owner the guy running the joint
1: well, he, he owned it and he had he had staff. And so yeah. we, we kept the staff in place, most of the staff in place. And, um, cause they have been there for a long time and they really love Tipitinas. I mean, Tipitinas is a place in New Orleans that is highly revered and and loved. And the people who work there do it because they love the place, mm-hmm. you know? So we made a point to keep that staff in place and um so we have a general manager, a day manager, um, a talent buyer, and and a marketing guy, and those are our four our four full-time employees, and then um, on a show night, depending on the size of the show, but we might have close to 30 employees in the building. The place holds it holds 800 people, yeah, so you know with front of house, sound, monitor, lights, yeah. uh, several bartenders, several door people, it all adds up. And um and and we wind up having almost 30 people on a big show night as staff. And so we try to take care of our staff and um and you know we and show them we appreciate them because we can't do it without them. Right. Of you course. know, but but um it was, you know, it was, it, it has been, and it is no small undertaking. I it's bet, like, man. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but it's kind of a big deal. In <laughs> ju- just that, I mean, it's, it's one of the most iconic venues in, in the city, but also in the United States. And, you can know, you, can yes. You actually,
0: can you give me a little bit of history on the, on the venue itself?
1: Yeah. So it, it was a place called the 501 Club, and then 14 people pulled their money together. The original 14 <laughs> pulled their money together and they were doing shows for Professor Longhair and other artists. What, what like era are we
0: talking about here? Like, 1977. Oh,
1: 77? 77, so 77 okay. is when Tipitina's opened. Okay. So, um, but they were doing shows at the 501 Club and they were doing uh, shows for Professor Longhair. And they wanted to open a place where he could play regularly and then they could also showcase other New Orleans acts. And the other New Orleans acts that wound up frequenting Tipitinas were The Meters. Eventually, Dr. John, the Neville brothers, James Booker, The Radiators, and then starting in the... Mid 90s, a little band called Galactic. <laughs> yeah. And we started playing there in, you know, the, we started playing there probably in the late 90s.
0: Just, it was and, a gig, it was a local gig. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we really started playing there. You know, we found a poster of us playing Lundi Gras, the night before Mardi Gras, in 2000. And we think that that's the first year. Now, okay. that's 22 years. Of, of us playing there for Mardi Gras. So, you know, a um, couple of years off for COVID, but, but so after being there, you know, 20 years, um, when it came time to sell, the owner was like, oh, well, maybe I sell to these guys who have been playing here for 20 years who have been asking me repeatedly to sell it to them. <laughs> so, you know, if you just keep showing up, yeah. you know, eventually- Shit happens, man. Yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, it's the old adage of, you know, opportunity is, uh, you know, luck is what? When opportunity meets preparation. Meets. Yeah, sure. You know I mean, we prepared by yeah. playing there for 20 years, and then um, the opportunity was that, come to find out, the the previous owner really did need to sell. And so
0: okay.
1: um so we, you know, I mean, we really pieced the deal together with scotch tape and bubblegum and and uh, you know, but
0: but you guys own the building too.
1: Yeah. Wow. We own the real estate. So okay. I mean, it you know, when I say it out loud, it, it's almost surreal, but it was it, it was almost it was over a year negotiation and it was very complicated and very challenging and thank thank goodness for our our lawyer and our manager and um they were very diligent and it was very complicated and you know in the closing it's a long story but in the closing uh robert mercurio and i had a gig with ivan neville and so we weren't at the closing but at the closing the closing attorney for for um the that SBA, seems fitting
0: that you were out playing with ivan neville as as the deal is going down
1: i know but it was like it was like the happiest most joyous thing you could ever possibly imagine we were all so excited but um i wasn't in the room for the closing but the attorney for uh the, the closing attorney Who, you know, for the bank, um, was a guy that I had gone to high school with, right? So he he told my other band members, he said, Oh, tell Stanton hi. Um, because he was also, he played on the drum line, but he was a year older than me. So tell Stanton, I say hi. You know, I don't think we've seen each other in 20 years. Yeah. But uh, I will tell you guys that I've been doing this, closing deals like this for 20 years this is the most complicated deal (laughs) I've ever seen. Oh my God. Hell stand and I say hi. And you know, so it was, you know, talking about it now, it's like, yeah, we bought Tipitina's. It's like, it has been a feat. Wow. But but, you know, we wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, it's like, it's our favorite club in the world. And now I can say, yeah, I am a co-owner of Tipitina's. Amazing. It's, it's easy to say it. It wasn't easy to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself owning this place years and years from now, or was it a stopgap thing to keep it alive or?
1: So that's a great question. And to be honest with you, um, we're not sure, like, you know, right now we're loving it. It's amazing. It's awesome. Um, you know, in 10 years, uh, so right now I'm, I'm gonna make fifty this year, right? Nice. So in ten years, at the age of sixty, I might want to sell it to Trombone Shorty and John Baptiste. Sure. <laughs> you know, maybe, and and their team of investors. I mean, you know, who knows? But I, we know we can't own it forever, and we we don't think of ourselves as the owners. We we are the current caretakers of one of the most beloved music mecca establishments. I mean, it feels like church when you walk into it. I mean, yeah. it really does because there's so many, you know, so some of the history you asked me about, yes, some these New Orleans icons played there, but then also Tipitina's is the first place that a lot of great rock bands played in yeah. New Orleans. So it was the first place in New Orleans that Soundgarden played, Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine, like, that list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so those bands have played there too. And then now they can't fit in there <laughs> right. anymore. But that that's where those bands played for the first time. Can you yeah. imagine seeing Pearl Jam for the first Amazing. time? I mean, I was there. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, and then Bad Brains, Fishbone, all those bands, you know. I mean, I was in the mosh pit for bra- for bad brains, <laughs> you know. Um so it, it's an amazing place. And then, you know, so I'd be in the mosh pit for Bad Brains, and on Sunday, I'd be sitting in for the Young People's Jazz Forum. Yeah, And that was the young people showing up at the time were myself and Nicholas Payton and Jason Marsalis and, you know, all these great musicians who have gone on to be become amazing, amazing musicians. Yep. Uh, so it really is quite a place that you can, you know, you can host... During the pandemic, we started doing table cocktail seated shows, right? Yep. Where we couldn't have more than 75 people. The place holds 800, like I said earlier. But during the pandemic, we were having seated shows of 75 people. And um, we would have Ivan Neville playing solo piano or John Cleary playing <clears throat> with a trio. But it's a room where you can do seated shows like that. Yep. We had Nicholas Payton and it was amazing. Right. Incredible. But then you can also have these rock bands that I've been telling you about. And then we had the Circle Jerks booked and then they had to be rebooked because of COVID. So, um, but, you know, everything from the Circle Jerks to, you know, all these other great, awesome things that I talked about that we can do seated.
0: You mentioned growing up and going to TIPS when you were a kid and stuff. Can we talk a little bit about that? Now, I know you grew up in New Orleans. Uh, you're, you know, one of the musicians that spent your entire career there. And, and I know you've been on the road a lot too during that time. But basically, you're you're known as a New Orleans guy. And uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about growing up and who some of your mentors and people that you saw were as a drummer um I'm aware of some of the people there and I know like Johnny Vodakovich was was huge for you. Um, there's another guy that I heard you talking about uh Marty Hurley I think who is perhaps more of like the rudimentary kind of like the the um more of the precision based early on stuff. Can you just talk about your how you got into drumming and your your sort of trip through your musical your early musical experiences?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way that I started getting excited about drumming was just from going to the Mardi Gras parades with my parents. and
0: Were they musicians?
1: So my dad played trumpet in high school, but I never heard or saw him play uh, anything. So he never, you know, he never played uh, once I was born. So, you know, short answer is no. So, and then, but my mom loved going to Mardi Gras parades and my dad loved playing music at home on his google phonic stereo from the 1970s. You know, in the 1970s, my dad was buying tube amp uh, stereo equipment and, you know, had all that, like, on this whole wall. So he had this gigantic stereo set up. Wow.
0: I hope you kept it.
1: Uh, well, my brother has has yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, all I mean, right. and it's it's like pioneer tube amps and stuff, you know, and um, so we would come home from the Mardi Gras parades, and then my dad would play um, all this Mardi Gras music, so all of the Professor Longhair meters, Doctor John uh, kind of stuff, and um, Wild Magnolia Indians, and all these things. We, I would hear, and I would be all psyched and excited from having heard all the marching bands. And at the age of, you know, three and four is when I started thinking, um, or when I started being, you know, able to recognize that I was getting excited by okay. the, these marching drum lines coming down the street. So explain,
0: in, explain that format to me.
1: Yeah, so I mean, you've got... Parades uh, with a, a float with a you know a whole bunch of people throwing beads off the float and then after that float passes you've got a giant marching band with uh, you know anywhere from 50 to 100 people in the marching band right and you've got a huge drum line and the drum line you know a, a large drum line might have close to 30 people in it, right? So- uh,
0: Define drum line, like that's literally 30 people playing the same pattern on a snare, is that-
1: So yeah, so maybe five, six, seven snare drummers playing, playing all the same parts. And then you might have four or five bass drummers. And it depends on the style of marching band. Some marching bands, the bass drummers play pitches, some some marching bands, you've got four or five bass drummers playing the same bass drum parts. Then you've got guys playing these smaller drums uh, that are like tiny bass drums. And then um, some of the bands have uh, quads or quints, right? So four smaller drums or five smaller drums. What kind t- of drums? Right? Okay. So those are all all strapped on, on harnesses. So you might have four to five people playing quads or quints. Yeah. Five to seven people playing snares, four or five bass drummers. Um,
0: are the bass drummers literally in sync playing exactly the same thing or are they yeah. kind of loose about that? It's the same.
1: It's, it's supposed to be the same.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and then you've got cymbals too, right? right. And so, I mean, it's a huge Sam. It's so
0: crazy when you think about it because it literally is like a drum kit broken up into multiple people playing it at the same time.
1: Yeah, well, yes. And then when you think about it too, is also it, the drum kit is coming from trying to approximate the what's happening in the streets. So you had brass bands uh, in New Orleans in the 1800s. And then coming into um, the early 1900s and then around the turn of that century, from the late 1800s into the 1900s, you had people taking what was played on the street, which is a snare drum and a bass drum and cymbals. And then they put the bass drum on the floor. And then really what happened was people were putting a bass drum on a chair and then they would they would play what was called double drumming. So they go boom, ga, boom, ga, boom, ga, da, dong, gong, gong. Then people started putting that bass drum on the floor and hitting it with makeshift bass drum pedals. And then in 1909, Ludwig came out with the first mass-produced bass drum pedal. Oh, okay. And that is considered the advent of the drum set is when you had a mass-produced, mass-marketed, widely available bass drum pedal that could be attached to a bass drum. And then that is when you started getting the birth of the drum set, right? I mean, I could get into all that. I could play, you know, play stuff for you if you wanted me to, but... um Yeah, man. Yeah, well, sure, why not? So, you know, you get marches coming down the street, right? And some of those, you know, keep in mind, in New Orleans, I'm gonna play you some New Orleans, like, New Orleans Brass Band marches, right? right. So check it out. Kind of a New Orleans second line, right? Now, here it is.
0: Can you just explain to me the concept of second line?
1: Yeah. So, second line is coming from the New Orleans funeral processions where you've got the hearse and the body, right, are yeah. the first line, and you don't want to oh, be that's in the, the first, first line. line. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all, all of the people um, following the hearse and the body. So, you've got the people behind that and the band, and you've got that's the second line. Okay. Right? And um, so you've got yep. a marching band, and it's usually trumpets, trombones, uh, clarinets, sax, and tuba, right? And a snare drummer and a bass drummer. And the bass drummer is playing a cymbal on top. And that, you know, playing a, playing a bass drum. With the symbol on top, right, that sounds like this. Give me that top cam, if you wouldn't mind, Nick. Okay, so you've got that going on. That's a bass drummer. Then you've got your snare drummer, and he might be playing, you know, coming from European and Civil War marches right? Those sounded like this, right? Now, at the end, I started getting funky with it, and started syncopating it. And what that is, is those rhythms, when I start syncopating it, that's coming from the African rhythms that were kept alive in Congo Square. So New Orleans is the only place in the United States that allowed people who were forced to migrate through the horrific practices of slavery. So you've got Congo Square in New Orleans and it is what is now lewis armstrong park so in congo square you had african slaves who were forced to come over from africa through the horrific practices of slavery and you've got people from africa in congo square on sundays they were allowed to come into congo square and practice their religion dance, and song. So you've got African rhythms and culture in Congo Square, and then those those practices start to cross-pollinate with the European marches and snare drums and bass drums. So obviously, snare drums and bass drums are European instruments. But then you start getting African rhythms played on European instruments. So uh, let's just take, this is, This is a modified 2-3 clave. Clave has its roots in Africa, but really developed in Cuba. And then once that comes over to to New Orleans, right? So this is hundreds of years of history in just a couple of seconds. But so you get, let's play a 2-3 clave, right? Coming from Africa through Cuba. Here's a 2-3 clave. So what happens, I'll I'll play a standard European march. Then I'll start letting some of these African rhythms come in as a variation. Then I'll let those variations become the groove, and that becomes the more current, traditional New Orleans second line. What I'm going to start off with is more of a European march, right? Okay. But I'm going to show you how that, over time how that
0: you're g- you're giving us a you're giving us a time travel lesson here yep
1: i'm giving you hun- right. hundreds of years of drumming evolution in a I'm matter so of seconds here you go check it out yeah Right, and then you know you take things like that. So you know, ga 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 uh uh uh. The clave, uh-uh. the original clave. Right. That's two three clave. So now let's just focus on the three side of the clave, right? So check it out, and that would sound like hey Pocky way, um, if we were gonna stay on just the three side of the clave. Check it out. Right? All right, yeah. so now if I take that and I allow elements of that or the 2-3 clave to, to creep in to my funk groove, right? Yep. If I allow that to creep into my funk groove and allow some of those rhythms to come up here on the hi-hat, then you start to get close to some of what Zigaboo Motelis was doing and you start to get close. You know, uh, Smokey Johnson was doing this too. Before Zig,
0: who was he playing with? Zigaboo played with with. No, not Zigaboo. The the other guy. Smokey
1: Johnson played. Smokey Johnson. Yeah, so he he played uh, with Fats Domino, and then. Oh okay. Um, but he had his own songs like "It Ain't My Fault," and uh, "Can't Help It," and so "Ain't My Fault," right? Was that New Orleans second line on the hi hat, right? So here's "Ain't My Fault." So I went to the snare at the end to show you, it's like, it's the same. I mean, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smokey Johnson just took that snare drum rhythm and put it up on the hi-hat. So now I'm gonna let some of these rhythms come into my funk groove, right? And I'm deliberately, like, this is, this is referencing some of Zigaboo Modal East, but I'm also showing you where Zig got it from. He got it from the New Orleans second line then he is one of the funkiest if not the funkiest drummer of all time so he took some of what's happening in the new orleans second line stuff and then let it come out in funk
0: this show is brought to you by the good folks at Isotope who make incredible plug-in software for any music or dialogue recording situation among other things they make a very unique suite of software called rx which you can use to surgically repair almost any kind of issue in a recording whether it's removing electrical hum, unwanted noise, vocal plosives, or almost anything you can throw at it. I use Isotope RX on every mix in one way or another, and I love that I can get in there on guitar tracks that I'm doing and running through my crazy old tube amps and get rid of the hum and noise without affecting the actual tone of the guitar. You can buy their plugins outright or get a subscription to keep up to date on all their latest versions. Right now, they're offering listeners a 10% discount on any of their plugins, when you use the code SOULPOD10 at checkout. So head on over to isotopecom slash SOULPOD and you'll see the links right there to get the discount or an extended 30-day trial of their subscription service of Music Production Suite Pro. We're also brought to you this season by Black Mountain Picks. These are unique spring-loaded thumb picks that are super comfortable and adaptable. I've been using them for a couple years now and I absolutely love them. They come in medium gauge, heavy gauge, jazz-tipped, left-handed, and with regular or extra-tight spring tension. Check them out at blackmountainpicks.com. Also thanks to Ear Trumpet Labs, a workshop in Portland, Oregon, hand-building amazing-sounding microphones. These large diaphragm condensers combine state-of-the-art sound with eye-catching designs and the feedback control to excel live as well as in the studio. I am using their Edwina myself right now on this podcast. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com. And finally, the Hen House Hang. It's a four-day immersive recording experience right here with me at the Hen House Studio in East Nashville on September 19 to 22, 2022. Join us for a musical learning experience like no other. We'll put you up in a groovy hotel, feed you some glorious food, show you the ropes of recording roots in Americana music by bringing you in on a real session with real musicians working on real songs from the ground up. You can get all the info on that at stevedawson.ca. Just follow the links on the front page to the henhouse hang. All right, then let's get back to the show. Before you do that, can you just tell me? So I'm not a drummer, so I don't know the terms. But when you're doing all that sort of ghosting on the snare there, and you know, you're not just you're not just playing backbeats. You're not just you know, it's not a straight thing at all. And you and it's got that that sort of loping swing to it. Is there a term for that way of approaching the snare?
1: So, yes, what I'm playing right now, that's all coming from New Orleans' second line. Some okay. of it's straighter. Yeah. Some of it's more syncopated, right? So here's, here is a straight New Orleans' second line. to go from the straight into the syncopated, right? You could use all of that in the same song,
0: right? Sure.
1: So, you know, just so let's think about oh, when the saints tick, tick, go marching in, tick, 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 tick. oh, when the saints go marching and I could play it straight or I could play it sing, go it. keep singing the melody, I'm a play on the drums. you could hear the melody I could even even though I wasn't singing but so all of that stuff works you know it sure and does. um and you know we learn how to do that here in New Orleans by playing thousands of gigs
0: <laughs> so one thing that I really that stands out to me about your playing is like there's this mix and I think this like really goes into the classic New Orleans thing with Zigaboo and those those kind of players who who brought sort of a more modern feel into the second line thing. But that is like a real mix of precision, like almost military precision, which probably comes from that more European style mixed with this like fluent, uh, just way more open groove. And and that's that must be like a really hard thing. But I would imagine like for you as a young drummer, you would have to really spend your time shedding the fundamentals, right? You can't just hop into this shit.
1: Oh, yeah no, you can't <laughs>
0: <laughs> so wh- so, how many years did you spend like just sitting there like learning the fundamentals before you could actually play like remotely yeah. like this?
1: Well, that's a great question, and the answer is I'm still working on that you know? okay um,
0: but 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 you know what I mean like at what point did you did you feel like gigging was something that you could do comfortably and and you could like bring this facility into that situation of playing live
1: yeah I mean that's a great question and I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you and you know this is this is a good thing is that you know being in New Orleans there are so many playing opportunities mm-hmm. that I started gigging like before I was ready
0: <laughs> right <laughs> really I, we all do I think to a certain yeah. extent
1: yeah so I never got to a point where I was like yeah I'm ready okay. like like I'm you know, just now do I feel like I even scratched the surface sometimes of how good I want to be, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't feel I'm ready right now, you know? Yeah. It's like, because I go and I, you know, what was that, uh, Thursday night? I went and I sat next to Shannon Powell at, oh, at Preservation Hall.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's like, just by that, I haven't sat next to Shannon in a minute. Like, I feel better as a drummer after watching Shannon. Like, I'm so inspired still. So like, as I'm playing all that stuff right now, all that stuff I was just playing, I was channeling some of what I got Mm -hmm. from Shannon. And it's more about the spirit and the feeling of it and the joy that he exudes. Uh, It's more about that than the drumming mechanics, right? right? And so you you can never play, in my opinion, you can never play with enough joy or enough humility, right? And so every time I go see Shannon, I feel like I come out a better drummer, Mm -hmm. right? And so to answer your question, though, I spent years and years just working on uh the rudimental stuff and i still work on that and to be honest with you i think i'm i'm continuing to improve it's Mm -hmm. like my control in my facility uh what i want to be able to do is is have all of that be in control so much and so transparent for me that it just doesn't get in the way of the joy that i'm trying to exude so I had so much fun just now playing Saints Go Marching In for you um, because I'm like channeling all the joy and uh, humility and zest for life that I pick up from Shannon Powell and Hurlin Riley and Johnny Vodakovich. You know, Thursday night I went and saw Johnny after I saw Shannon.
0: So. Oh, man, that's a heavy like, night.
1: Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, and I, I got to I'd do that. You know, I, I brought Jimmy Chamberlain, the drummer for Smashing Pumpkins. I brought him to nice. see these things. Yeah, and so to get him to, to get, you know, get to see this stuff with him, like and he's seeing it for the first time, you know, it's like, it's just so That's exciting, life-affirming, you know? Yeah. And so and so it's, I'm still working on all those fundamentals and all that, but you want, the reason you do that is so that that doesn't get in the way of exuding joy, mm-hmm. yeah, you know? and people, you know, drummers, uh, musicians, you know, people could be like, "Oh, I don't want to play that song. That song's terrible." <laughs> it's like the song's not terrible. It's like your attitude might be terrible. Uh-huh. So you know, anybody, watch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna muffle my drum on purpose. I'm gonna muffle it too much, and I'm gonna make the drum sound bad, and I'm gonna play saints go marching in badly right can't wait uh, yeah so t- all right i'm gonna turn this off uh my my laugh but check it out so think of the song right um oh when the saints and i'm gonna play it bad go marching into. Dun- dun- i'm going to play it with a bad attitude ah, dun- dun- dun. I don't even want to keep doing that. That's just terrible. (laughs) It's like, you know, anybody can do that. It's like, you know, or over, over swing it, you know? It's like, that's awful. It's like, give it to me, (laughs) slinky and funky. It's like, could you make it awesome, right?
0: it's a it's a it's a combination of vocabulary and attitude
1: yeah and and musicality yeah you know yeah and hopefully as you go through life, uh your musicality improves you know and that's that's where I'm trying to get um and that's why it's so important you know to go out and see these masters you know
0: yeah and and you live in a place that That is, you're very fortunate to have a lot of those masters still around and still performing at high levels, too, which is unusual,
1: yeah, it is. And you know, keep in mind, these guys, guys like Shannon, Herlin, Johnny V, these guys grew up, you know, when they were young, they were watching the masters before them, yeah, so you know, um. You know, I, I get asked these questions often, but, you know, it, sure, like learning from books is great. Learning online is great. Those things are good um, and they will give give you some information. But to truly become masterful at playing music, I'm a firm believer that you have to put yourself out there and go hear masters. And, you know, I've at Prez Hall and watching Shannon and just like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then Shannon's like, here you go, bro. <laughs> Come sit down. And then he wants to play tambourine and stand in front of the band and sing. So I sat in. So talk about being put in the hot seat. Oh, man. It's like, you know, can you sit in? And and at Prez Hall, you gotta play this quiet. right? Cause there that's are a- no microphones. That's right. There are no microphones. For the vocalists, no microphones for the horns. So you gotta, you gotta be funky.
0: You gotta play to the room
1: at this level. Yeah. And can you do it? You know. And so. um,
0: So how do you how do you how do you approach that?
1: Well, it, it comes from years and years and years of shedding. And when I practice, I practice all this snare drum rudimental stuff. I practice at that volume. Okay. So they called Hey Pocky Way. And you know, if I'm playing Hey Pocky Way with Leo Nocentelli at a festival, I'm gonna play it like this. Nick, uh, give me the overhead. (laughs) But if I would have done that in press hall, No way. So I play it like this, right? Just as much funkiness, but super low volume.
0: So much control, man. Love well,
1: it. Well, thank you. And you could hear, though, that I was adding some embellishments and yeah. stuff. But when you're playing, you know, the main stage at Jazz Fest in front of 50,000 people.
0: It's a bit of a different scene.
1: It's a bit of a different scene. Yeah. Same beat-ish, but with with different different intent. And so with at Press Hall, I also, I, I, I backed off the snares a little bit. So I, I made it a little bit looser, and what that does is allows the drum to speak mm-hmm. when you're playing that quiet. Like I hear watch that. when I when I tune, when I give me the overhead there, Nick. So when I take this snare uh, throw off and I make it really really tight and I make the snares really tight and I play real quiet, it's 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 too constricted. The drum is too constricted, and I can't I can't be lyrical on the drum. Check it out.
0: Love how you explain that, man. That's really cool. How how it's like a lyrical approach. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: And that's what I'm trying to do, you know. But in front of fifty thousand people at Jazz Fest the with subtlety. loud guitars, yeah, yeah, loud guitars, loud basses, um, none of that would come through. Right. But uh, you know, you gotta hit the back of the the back of the field. Yeah. You know. So it's a, it, it's knowing, you know, it's knowing when to do what, you know, and that comes from experience, and that comes from Developing your musical judgment, you know. But you got to know. You got to know when you hit the stage, at the main stage. Don't play like you're playing in Press Hall. Right. And when you hit Press Hall, don't play like <laughs> you're playing the main stage at Jazz Fest. And the, the two might happen in the same day, and they they do. Yes. And that's you know that goes back to your one of your first questions. Explain what Jazz Fest is like. I'm literally going. I play. I might play. See, I was supposed to have four gigs in one day this year, but the late night got canceled because uh, one of the guys tested positive for COVID. But, okay. So I might have anywhere from one to four gigs, but on average, I have two. Some days three. Mm-hmm. Um, f- during that jazz fest period, and they're they're all different.
0: Would you say that after you played for? quite a bit as a kid, I don't know if you were playing in bands in high school and stuff like that. I would imagine that you were, but when you started to play with Galactic, you were probably like in your early twenties or so. Did you feel like you were a pretty fully formed musician at that point, or were you just like a spunky kid that, that wanted some some experience like how did that come about that you joined the band and and where were you at musically like I I listened to those early records again recently just to sort of wrap my head around where where the band was at and it's not like a radically different band back in the late 90s than it is today really like sonically it's a little little different but the approach and the intent is there I, I would say
1: yeah I mean so I feel like for me personally I kind of focused on i so i intentionally focused on funk and new orleans funk in particular because i felt like if i could play that i i would it would make it so that i could play grooves and if i could make things groove then i would work right so i was like let me focus on this and if i could make the new orleans funk stuff feel good then i'd be able to make a lot of other things feel good mm-hmm. and so i focused on that and then i you know started working with galactic and we started touring and the band started to do really well and then after we had been doing that for a while then i realized oh yeah like i want to be able like by the time i'm 50 or 60 years old I want to be able to walk into a room and if Herlin Riley is playing drums and he asks me to sit down and sit in, I want to be able to not embarrass myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good goal. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: uh, you know, I'll never be Herlin or Shannon, but so I started on that pursuit and I realized, okay, the way to do this is to do it on a regular basis. So let me, let me find a weekly gig. So I did uh, Snug Harbor on Tuesday nights with musicians who were better than me. So I I started working with David Torkanowski and James Singleton. And Tork and Singleton played countless gigs with Johnny Vidakovich. And Tork played a lot with Zigaboo and played a lot with- um, Those
0: are big shoes to fill.
1: Yeah, and played a lot, both of those guys played a lot with James Black. Okay. And after I started playing that trio, a picture emerged, of James Black playing Jazz Fest, and guess who was in the picture, on stage playing with him, David Torkinowski on keys and James Singleton on bass. Nice. So, these these guys, played with James Black and and Johnny V, and continue to play all the time with Hurlan, Shannon. And uh, David Torkinowski played a lot with Zig. And so I wanted to put myself in that position to pardon my French, but to have my ass kicked Mm -hmm. on a regular basis by guys who know the difference. They know what good drummers are, right? And they know if I'm having a good night or if I need to go home and do some homework on that
0: song. Would those guys give you feedback in that department or were they just like, you do your thing and...
1: Oh yeah. Oh no, no you, okay. David Torkinowski gives feedback. Okay. Like like unabashedly. You can see do my remember any, face like, right now. He's like, oh yeah, he does.
0: Do you remember any poignant uh things that he would have told you or that you would have taken from that experience that, that you kind of carried with you as a musician? Oh
1: god, yeah. So we might be playing a ballad and you know, I'm sitting here playing a ballad and you know, it's my gig. And Tork is like <laughs> Like, give me more hi hat, right? Give me more hi hat, and then you know, I might, I might play a fill or something, and in front of the entire audience, it like <laughs> that means you know the time, like, oh, you, oh, you might have pushed that fill a little bit, like, oh wow, you know, in front of the audience on my gig.
0: Wow, okay, not subtle at all. No, <laughs>
1: but but that, you try to get to a point where you get less and less of those. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, on my gig, Torque will call a song that I don't know. Okay, and at first, you know, that can be disconcerting, and you know, it can really be disheartening. But then you just realize, you know, well, learn the song, and then you you go home, you do your homework, and I would record all of those gigs, and I would listen to those gigs during the week, and I would listen to what I needed to improve on.
0: Is this this is pre galactic?
1: No, no, no. This is very much after I'd been on the road with Galactic okay. for 10 years. Oh, wow. Easily. Okay. Yep. So this is only like eight years ago, maybe, that I started doing this. Okay. But so playing with a piano trio with David Tolkanowski and James Singleton, I had to learn how to play at a quieter volume. Yep. And then I, all these songs, very challenging songs, um, I had to learn. And then still, to this day... But it's put me, it's made me a much better drummer and it's also put me into a position now where people know that I do like to swing out and I'll get called uh, to swing out some more. And so the more I swing out, the better I get at it. And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself like the world's greatest at that, but I love to do it. And by doing it, it makes me a better musician for sure all around, you know? And, um, so, so I love doing it, you know, and it's cool. And, and, uh, and I'm doing more of it, you know, getting calls to do more of it, getting calls for the same gigs that, that and Riley gets called for.
0: That must feel good. that,
1: That, uh, that, that Shannon and Johnny, it does, it feels great, but it doesn't come easily. And, and it's, you know, I mean, I had already been, you know, not to say anything, but I'd already, you know, had some, uh, some success. Like, you know, I'd already been on the cover of Modern Drummer. Yeah,
0: man.
1: Um, twice, and then then I start, you know, putting myself in the position where I'm showing up. It's my band, but I'm getting my ass kicked. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But it's like, how good do you want to be? It's like you've you gotta put yourself. I love that, man. Yourself... I love
0: that you just keep you keep. You keep pushing yourself. You're not. Uh, oh, yeah. You're not sitting back on that fucking Modern Drummer cover.
1: No, and you, you know, you can't. <laughs> I mean, and for me, I'm not gonna do that. I want to be the best version of myself now, and and then when I'm 60, mm-hmm. you know, I want to keep getting better, and I want to keep. I want it by the time that I'm 60. People are like, "Damn, dude, how did you just keep getting better that whole time?"
0: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. <laughs> you know
1: and. And there are drummers who have set that example, you know, um, Idris Muhammad being oh, yeah. one. Um, you know, he just kept getting better, you know, all the way up until his seventies.
0: I feel like Brian Blade playing. is in that camp too. Like he, every time I see him, he just seems to take it to a whole different level.
1: Yeah, Brian Blade is in that camp. Um, you know, it, it. I mean, of course, the, the, you know, the, the, the examples of that are are endless you know but but i want to be one of those one of those cats who's like continuing to get better continuing to do new stuff continuing to expand and um and then uh you know eventually just be the best version i
0: can be can you can you tell me a little bit about how you've uh changed your approach to recording the drums over the years? Like when you go in to make a Galactic record, how has recording in say like 1998 to I think your last record was what 2019 or something, so it's been a couple of years, but but how, you know, maybe sonically or texturally do you approach the drum kit in a different way now than you did 25 years ago?
1: Yes and no some sometimes like You know, with Galactic, I'll go in and I'll play a bunch of grooves and I'll set up a bunch of different bizarro stuff. Like what? Um, Well, like what? Like, um, well, that's a great question. Um, I just put one of those little things away. Oh, here it is. Okay. So, like, something like this, right?
0: Whoa. Like,
1: so I have, I don't know, three or four or five different versions of things like this.
0: People People won't see this. So can you just say what that is?
1: Yeah, it's a lens drum, okay. right? So, um, so you know, I might just put it on the rack tom. So, um, so then it's like, you know, it sounds like this, right? So that'll make me think of different things, right? so cool. Right? Okay, now that's that's one thing I could do with that. Or here's one I like to do with this lens drum, right?
0: Crazy I mean, thing that is.
1: Yeah, so it'll just make you think of different stuff, you know? It's like, uh, I don't know. And now I'm going to play on my Pondero over here, and then I'm going to um, play some different voicings between this lens drum,
0: right? Okay. So, so cool.
1: But, you know, it's like I've got boxes and boxes of that stuff right yeah. over here to my left. So just different things make you think of different grooves. And just now I'm just, you know, because this was easily accessible. Yeah. just Just one little weird metal thing. But I'll set up maybe a different bass drum, a, a weird bass drum and a snare drum, and maybe a bunch of TV trays. around me and put towels on the TV trays. And then I might put like a bottle on the... lay a bottle on the TV tray, lay a frying pan on the TV tray.
0: So what what makes you go that way? Like, are you... Have you experimented with that kind of a thing before you get there? Or are you just like, hey, that might be weird. I'm going to go grab some TV trays on the way to the studio.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's both. Okay. You know, it's like sometimes I've experimented with things, but sometimes I just put stuff up. Yeah. And, you know, we have our own studio, so I can just spend time just coming up with weird stuff.
0: When you show up to do a Galactic Record, are there tunes? And are you guys, like, rehearsed and and have stuff in mind? Or are you fully just, like, hooking up and... Uh, improvising until you've got an album?
1: Yeah, it, it's more of the latter, really. It's okay. like, it, I usually lay drums down. Uh, I'll just lay a bunch of ideas down and then they start coming up with a baseline to one of the ideas and then maybe some keys to one of the ideas and it all takes shape over time.
0: And would those original drum tracks stay intact, would you say? Or do you end up retracking them once there's sort of a composition based around what you did? So it, some of both. Okay. Uh, sometimes
1: what I laid down originally stays there and it's more of like kind of like a loop yep, assembled thing. And then sometimes uh, I'll go back in and play a performance Okay. and with lots of fills and structuring yep. the song and really kind of, uh, you know, laying things out so it's a little bit of both
0: and do you usually record at your place
1: usually but if we're trying to get drum performances we might go to a studio that has more capabilities than us our studio is set up for us to work the way that we work which is you know kind of one at a time okay um coming up with stuff yeah but then if i'm gonna really try to record good sounding drums we might go somewhere else
0: um, are there, are there some legendary rooms? Like, like I know that Cosimo, Cosimo place was like where the meters did all their shit back in the day. Is that place still around? And like, are there, are there kind of like legendary New Orleans studios that are still uh, going or is that sort of a thing of the past?
1: So J records is a laundromat. Okay. But it still has the, in the ground, there was like, um, the, you know, the inlay in the sidewalk that says M records and oh wow it's still there okay and that's where they did a lot of little richard and a lot of uh fats domino stuff and so you could still see that inlay and it's a laundromat now okay um it's crazy and then uh unfortunately um sea saint which is where alan Toussaint mm-hmm. had his studio that flooded in katrina and that's where they did a lot of like um, meters and Dr. John records there. Yep. Um, actually, uh, yeah. And then, so Alan did a lot there at Sea Saint.
0: Do you have a favorite to work at if you're going to do like a full band track session?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a studio called The Parlor, which uh-huh. I love, but it, it's been sold right okay. now. And it's still a studio, but it's privately owned. Um, and then... Uh, you know here close to new orleans there's there's uh dockside which yep. is three hours away but we love that you can go stay out there and it's wonderful
0: oh it's like a place you can li- you can kind of camp out and yeah oh that's great yeah
1: yeah and it's right on the vermilion river and it's an amazing studio i okay. love that place and studio in the country is a hour and a half away and that's great okay um So yeah, I mean, we have options here in New Orleans and um, you know, Esplanade Studio is cool too. Um, So there's, you know, there's a few different options here.
0: Where you are right now, you're not in the Tipitina's building.
1: No, Okay. so this is, I am in my studio which is part of the galactic studio
0: and shout out to to nick for making your drum sound amazing because it's really like i'm used to zoom sounding like absolute shit, but it sounds amazing thank you yeah we've worked
1: thank you nick yeah we've worked long and hard on that and we continue to dial it in and learn about it
0: what else is happening for you like are is galactic making another record and i know you do a lot of like education stuff like with videos and teaching and and you're also you've got some drum like a, a snare drum of your own, um, some a line of cymbals. Is that all stuff that's still going on these days?
1: One one million percent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right before we talked to you, we were on a Zoom with Zildjian. Yeah. Working on uh, finalizing um, my lunar crash that we're gonna release in the fall, and
0: because doesn't thing- doesn't Sabian do your Crescent, so lion.
1: I'm with Zildjian now, okay. and so we're we've been working on releasing my Lunar Crash with them. So in 2020, January of 2020, I switched to oh, okay. Zildjian. Yeah, and then um, so we're finalizing the design of the Lunar Crash. So that's exciting. What is that? Uh, when
0: or no? What what is it?
1: So it's it's a very trashy crash with seven over-hammered craters, and three rivets. And it sounds like this. Here's one of the prototypes. Check it out.
0: Yeah, let's hear it. That is so cool, man. I love that symbol. I want one. Yeah. Sign, sign me up. So,
1: I love it. So yeah, so thank you. And that, that's going to be um, released in the fall. And then uh, a thing that Nick and I work on a lot is my online drum school, which is Drum Academycom yeah. And since you asked, I'll mention that. And... Is, you, that a,
0: is that an interactive thing, or are you just creating content for people to uh, to like subscribe to?
1: So it's both. So okay. you can become a member. You can try it out for free, 14-day free trial at StantonMooreDrumAcademy.com. And it is where I put all the lessons that I film and write. So instead of doing a book and a DVD, which I did two of those, mm-hmm. now all my new content I put up here. So everything from buzz rolls, to different stickings, to different grooves. If you like what I do, then all of that uh, comes out at StantonmoreDrumAcademy.com. Okay. And um, there's also the community forum, so I'm answering questions and interacting in there all the time.
0: You do that all from your place there?
1: Yeah, we yep. do all that from here. Mm-hmm. And then we film all that here. I write the lessons everywhere. So um, I write them. I might be on a plane or a bus or, you know, in, in a hotel room. And I write the lessons yep. and then we come in and we film, uh, film all that and put that up there. And then uh, snare drum, I have a raw titanium version. Yeah, so that, um, that
0: that's you're making that with Ron Danette, right? Mm-hmm, correct. My old homeboy.
1: Yep, yep, Ron is great. So uh, we have a new raw titanium, Spirit of New Orleans snare drum. We also make uh, some wood shell ones. Uh, We have acacia, we have-
0: What makes that snare unique?
1: The first one, the titanium, what's unique about it is that titanium is a very interesting metal that that has a bright tone, but also it's very warm. Yeah. So and I have a, and one,
0: I have a dinette that's like it's titanium and it's massive. It's like yeah. I don't know seven inches deep maybe or something. Yeah.
1: So I have one of the one of those six and a half. It's okay. right up here on my shelf, but th- mine is four and a half, four and a half deep, and it's um it's a great sounding drum. So what's unique about it is that it's nice and bright, but it's also dark, uh, not dark but warm. Is that so, what we're
0: hearing now? Are, are you playing that right now?
1: Uh, right now I'm playing a craviato. Okay. Um my my titanium is in my trap case, ready to go to the next gig. Okay. And I bring it in to the studio a lot, but today it's it's I just had a gig the other day, so it's it's in my trap case. But um so that titanium snare, um, yeah, that's be- going to become more readily available in the next uh couple of weeks. So on my my stantonmore.com and stantonmoredrumacademy.com, you'll be able to see that, that drum's coming out, um, that raw, that raw titanium version.
0: Is that something you like doing, getting involved in the design of? I do, I do. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I have
1: my own signature sticks. I have that Lunar Crash coming out with Zildjian. Yeah. The titanium snare. Um,
0: You're in deep, man.
1: Yeah. And I have my own signature Pondero with LP. Really? Um, oh yeah. And then, uh, a, a tambo stick that I designed with LP that just came out last year so what's a, yeah what's, I've, th-
0: what's a tambo stick
1: so it's it's a stick with jingles oh okay and um we're still getting my studio put back together after jazz fest mm-hmm. and so my tambo stick is in my stick bag in my ta- in my okay. trap case I would play it for you but it's in that trap case. We're still getting put back together after after Jazz Fest. It like takes months I bet. to get everything kind of back back to where it was. But um, but yeah, to answer your question, Galactic is finishing up a record. Um, I have three Oregon Trio records that I recorded with Robert Walter and Will Bernard. Those are coming oh, out wicked. on vinyl. Yeah. At the end of the year. I They've been out for a long time, but now I I own the Masters, and I'm re-releasing them on vinyl by the end of the year.
0: Un- I have an, under what um, name?
1: Stan Moore. Okay. So those three are under Stantmore. Yeah. And then I also, I'll be recording this year with Eric Krasno. So Eric and I have been, um, we've... We've done some stuff over the years, but now we're going to start doing more stuff together. Okay. So, Organ Trio with with Eric we will be recording that this year. I'm doing lots of gigs with Garage A Trois, which is Charlie Hunter and scarrick So, I have a lot of gigs with that uh, ensemble coming up. And then um, I have two weeks with Les Claypool coming up. Tons of stuff with Galactic coming up. I'll be recording another record with Robert Walter. Nice. Uh, So yeah, I'm busy, busier than
0: ever. (laughs) And are are you playing locally regularly anywhere or is it just sort of like wherever you can, you you do? So
1: locally, Snug Harbor has not been doing Tuesday nights again yet. So that was uh, my regular Tuesday night. So I'm not doing that right now. But um, there's a place called the Bayou Bar, that I play at with Peter Harris. He's a great bass player. So he plays there four nights a week, and he does different people all the time. So you might have Herlin Riley on drums. You might have uh, Jameson Ross, or Johnny V, or myself, or Pedro Segundo. So Peter's always mixing it up over there, so I'll play there occasionally. Um, and then I might be playing. Uh, I just got a call to start playing some more with Chris Royal at the Royal Frenchman Hotel on Mondays and Thursdays. Oh, cool. So, okay.
0: Are all those dates, including like the stuff with Les Claypool and all all those other projects, is that all available, like viewable on your website and stuff? Yeah. Okay.
1: It, it, if it's not today, it, it's always being updated. Right. So StantonMore.com. Yeah. That has my schedule. And people can check that out there. And then, just to reiterate, the thing that I am most focused on—if people are drummers—is Stanton Moore Drum Academy.
0: Yeah, I'll make com. sure we—I'll uh, make sure we put links to that in the show notes and stuff like that. As
1: Wonderful.
0: Well. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for spending the time, and 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 I really appreciate you demonstrating some stuff on the on the kit too, man. That means a lot, and it's—you uh, explain it so well. It's—it's it's great to hear both how you explain what you're doing, but then to play it, of course, is awesome wonderful well thanks so
1: much for having me i'm glad we were finally able to work it out yeah great to talk to you and uh i appreciate the invite and i'll see you down the road
0: you bet folks that was my conversation with stanton moore i hope you enjoyed it half as much as i enjoyed doing it it was really great to speak with him and hear all that crazy stuff and hear him play the drums i got to see it too you didn't get to see it i did it was cool all right, I will see you in another couple of weeks for another chilling episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. We'll see you then. Thanks. Music Makers and Soul Shakers is produced at the Henhouse Studio in Nashville, Tennessee by Steve Dawson. Please remember to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find more info on this episode, including show notes and an audio playlist at makersandshakerspodcast.com. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors this season Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks, Isotope, and Spectra 1964. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.